When I became a foster mom four years ago, I quickly realized there weren't many resources for foster or adoptive parents, much less for the millennial generation. That's where the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast comes in. Welcome to a no-frills look at the journey of foster parenting. It's millennial motherhood with real chats about all things foster care, from navigating home visits, court hearings, bio parents, and quote-unquote, getting to attach. Please join me every week for an honest conversation about foster care and adoption as a millennial mom. Welcome to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. Welcome back to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. My name is Brittany and I am a millennial foster and adoptive mom. My husband and I have had 10 kids in our home since we became licensed in 2016 and we have adopted three of those kids. We currently have four kids under seven in our house with our youngest being four. We have one foster placement right now and if you'd like to hear more about our story and how we came to foster please consider listening to episode one titled our foster care story so before jumping into this episode i have some housekeeping to cover first i just want to say thank you so so much to everyone who has listened to the podcast subscribed or reviewed it it means the world to me and i am so thankful for the response it's gotten so far I was really nervous to start this podcast, but I'm so glad I did. There have been several conversations I've had stemming from episode one, so I'm excited to see where this goes. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Second, in the first episode, I talked about how we dealt with infertility before becoming foster parents. I feel like I kind of need to clarify that foster care was never a second choice or a plan B. I think foster care and adoption was always meant to be our path. And looking back, I'm so grateful that our story unfolded the way it did, even though it was hard to walk through in the moment. For this episode, I thought we could talk about court hearings as a foster parent. Some of what we'll talk about is probably stuff you already know if you're a foster parent and have been to a court hearing, but I thought it would be good to talk about for those who are trying to learn more about foster care or plan to be a foster parent in the future. So just a little disclaimer, obviously I am not a lawyer or associated with the legal field whatsoever. So all I am sharing is my own personal experiences and observations as a foster parent. In the day you are listening to this episode, I actually have a hearing to attend for Carson. Just as a side note, Carson is not his real name. I've changed his name for the sake of his privacy and to comply with privacy guidelines from our agency in the state. This hearing is a bit different, though, because it'll be taking place virtually instead of in person due to COVID-19. This is not something I've done before. Carson's case manager emailed me the link for the video conference for the court hearing, and everyone involved should be on the call. Our last hearing was back in January before the pandemic started, so it should be pretty interesting to see how this unfolds. If you are not a foster parent and are tuning in, please know that typical foster care court cases take place every three to six months or as needed. Of course, this can change based on the case, but that is usually the minimum time frame. Also, I would just like to say some acronyms for paperwork and even the name the state agencies go by can change from state to state. So even if the name is different, there's probably a similar representation in your state. 
We have not been to a ton of court hearings in our years as foster parents. Since our kids were transitioned with the intent to adopt, they came to us at the end of their time in foster care. TPR, or termination of parental rights, had already happened. So my experience with court hearings is a bit limited, but I thought this would still be an important topic to cover. Most people avoid going to court as much as possible throughout their lives, but for foster parents, it's a completely different story. I don't really remember court hearings being discussed a lot during our impact training. Impact is the six to eight week training program for becoming foster parents in our state. I've heard it called different things in other states though. But I think talking about court hearings is important because you definitely need to be prepared to go to one. My husband and I both work full-time, so we aren't able to go to every single hearing, but we do try our best to go to the ones where we know case changes will be discussed. My husband and I both do not get paid from our jobs if we go to a court hearing, unfortunately, unless we use a PTO day. Since we are not technically being subpoenaed and we are going on a voluntary basis, I think that is the loophole with that. But if you are a working foster mom, don't feel bad about not getting to go to every court hearing. Sometimes it just isn't possible. Ahead of the court hearing, you can write out a statement that you would like to be shared with the court on your behalf if there's anything you think the court should know about the child. Remember, you are with the foster kiddo day in and day out, so you see firsthand how they deal with trauma, behaviors, and how they react to visitations. It can give the court insight to how the child is handling the situation and if anything needs to be changed for the child's well-being. If there is anything major you would like to share with the court, your case manager should be made aware beforehand. Most case managers are required to do an in-person home visit at least once every month or every other month. With COVID-19, these visits are usually virtual now, but they still allow you the opportunity to talk face-to-face. -face. And sometimes something you think is a small detail that doesn't matter might turn into something big in the future. So let the case manager know anyway so there's a record. Record keeping is huge in foster care. Be your own advocate and be an advocate for your foster child. If a phone call or a visit was missed with the placement, we would email or text our case manager so there would be a digital record if it was ever needed in court. If you can't attend court, make sure you have someone who will be there, like a case manager or the child's CASA worker who can fill you in afterwards so things that are discussed don't get lost in translation. Try and reach out to them and set up a time to talk after the hearing occurs so they can fill you in when it's fresh in their mind. You also have the opportunity to request a transcript of the hearing, so that's also an option if you aren't able to be there in person. The case manager will let you know ahead of time if your foster child needs to be at the hearing, but usually their presence is waived and they are not required to be there. Your foster child does need to go to the first hearing, though, which is a 72-hour hearing. This hearing takes place within the first 72 hours after the child is placed in foster care. I've never heard of the child's presence being waived at this hearing because it's a chance for the court to lay eyes on the child. However, I'm sure in some situations there are exceptions. Your case manager should always let you know ahead of time if your foster placement needs to attend to give you ample time to prepare for arrangements. Our placements have always been under five, so I don't know what this looks like for older children or teens who are in foster care if they're requested to be at court hearings. 
You should receive a written letter via snail mail stating the date, time, and place of the court hearing. But this does not always happen, so if you aren't sure of when the next court hearing is, just ask the case manager. Side note, we keep all of these correspondence in a binder. Each of our kids have their own binder that we keep all of their important documents in, like their placement letter, copies of birth certificates, or social security cards, if we ever receive them, ISPs in the child life history, etc. It is so much easier to have all of these documents in one place so you don't have to go searching for them in a pinch. So back to court hearings. Everyone related to the case should be at the hearing unless their attendance is waived. So this includes the child's case manager, foster care worker, CASA, which stands for the court-appointed special advocate, supervisors, birth parents, the birth parent's attorney, and the child's attorney. In some cases, the child's therapist or teachers from school can even be subpoenaed to attend and testify in court. If you are able to go to the hearing, this is a great time to place names to faces. You might even have the opportunity to meet the birth parents, which can sometimes be really helpful for both parties. A lot of times, the birth parents have only heard your name through the case manager, who they probably have mixed feelings about. So it can sometimes put their mind at ease by meeting the person caring for their child during what is most likely the most difficult time in their life. And I think it is so important to remember when sitting through court hearings and listening to what led this child to be in foster care or meeting the birth parents face-to-face that it only takes a few decisions to be in the same boat they are, and we really do not need to place more judgment or make them feel even more ashamed for where they are at in their lives. Give them as much grace as you can muster, which I know is sometimes a lot easier said than done. On the day of your court hearing, make sure you have child care lined up. Like we talked about before, usually the child's attendance is waived and they are not required to be there. This is not somewhere you really want your foster child to have to go anyway. Make sure you have the address to the courtroom and you arrive early. As far as what to wear, business casual is usually the safest option. No jeans, no flip-flops, no hats. Black pants or dress pants are ideal with a nice truck or um, even wearing a dress. You definitely want to look presentable and put together. Use your judgment and make sure it is an outfit you are comfortable in. As far as what to bring with you, there are a few things I would suggest. You want to go into court expecting you'll be at court all day. One of the worst things about court is expecting you'll be in and out in an hour and you end up spending all day waiting for the court to get to your hearing on the docket. Prepare for the worst. But as foster moms, I think we are conditioned to be pretty good at preparing for the unexpected. My suggestion is to bring with you the folder that you have your child's paperwork in. You probably won't need it, but I would rather have it with me. A notebook and pens for note-taking, a water bottle that does not leak. Most courts will tell you you cannot eat or drink inside the courtroom, and I've been to one that even said you couldn't even chew gum. So make sure it is a water bottle that won't leak since you'll have to keep it in your bag. I would also bring a few non-perishable snacks with protein, dollar bills or change for the vending machines. You might not need this, but most courthouses do have vending machines. Tissues, because you never know when you might start crying. And yes, I've cried in court before. A portable charger in case you end up being there for a while. Even though during court you can't have your phone, they will request you turn it on silent or turn it off 
I always turn mine off because I'm super paranoid. It'll go off and they'll confiscate my phone or ask me to leave. And a written statement if you plan to speak during the hearing. Anytime there's a break, I would also try and go to the restroom. And maybe that's just the mom of little kids and me, since I'm always asking them to try and go to the bathroom when we have a second. But the truth is, you never really know when the next break will be. You are allowed to leave the courtroom during the hearing if you need to, but it's super awkward and I try to avoid it at all costs. Plus, you might miss something important being said. So always try and use the bathroom when the court takes a break, even if it's only for a five or 10 minute break. If there's anything I missed or anything that you would like to add to this list of what to bring with you, please comment on the Millennial Foster Mom podcast Instagram page under the picture for this episode. It is definitely best to be over-prepared than under-prepared. So I would, at minimum, bring the things I mentioned. Those are things I wish I would have had the day a progress hearing for my daughters ran over by five hours. And the court decided to continue with hearings through lunch instead of taking a break. It was emotionally draining. If you think you want to say anything during the hearing, I would definitely suggest writing it down beforehand or making notes. Make sure you take your significant other's opinions or ideas into account when preparing to speak. Run your final statement by them. It is so important you are both on the same page with whatever is or isn't said. Or, if they will be at the hearing too, decide who will speak beforehand. I've tried to wing it each time I've spoken in front of the court, and while I'm sure I did fine, I totally get tunnel vision, and it was very nerve-wracking. It is completely up to you if you want to speak when asked. You don't have to. I've never been called to the stand. I've just said what I wanted to say by standing next to my seat in the courtroom. It's completely up to you and your partner if you decide to speak. I've also had our foster care worker speak on our behalf when I couldn't be at the hearing in person. So I wrote a statement a few days before the hearing, had it submitted to the court, and then she read it during the hearing. When you are at the hearing, make sure you listen, listen, listen. Take notes, and if there is a court term you aren't sure about, write it down so you can ask about what it means later. Sometimes court can move really fast and it can be hard to keep up with what is being said, but try and take in as much as you can so you know where the case stands. On the opposite side, sometimes court moves really slow and there's not much said by anyone and the case gets continued until the next hearing a few months away. Those can be very frustrating since nothing of significance really happened except checking in with all parties and updates on the case plans. One thing I wish we would have been told about early on is that sometimes you have to sit through hearings that are not your own and what you hear is not always pleasant. The day I was at court longer than I planned to was because I had to sit through a hearing and someone was being questioned on the stand. It was so uncomfortable and I felt really bad because there were people in the room, myself included, that had absolutely nothing to do with this woman's case to get her kids back. Things that were said during this hearing are things I still remember to this day, and I occasionally do wonder what happened with her case. On the opposite side, I've also been present for children being reunified with their birth parents, and since reunification is the point of foster care, it is amazing to witness birth parents getting their children back after working so hard. It is something to celebrate for sure. You won't always have to sit through strangers' court cases. Depending on the county or the courthouse, they may have different ways of handling this. For example, 
When I went to Carson's last court hearing in January, the court reviewed truancy cases first thing in the morning. Each family was called into the courtroom one at a time, and everyone else waited outside in the hallway. Then, once they wrapped up those truancy cases, they called each family waiting for family court. So the only ones in the courtroom were the judge, the professionals involved, and the birth families, um, and then us as foster parents. Even though it meant a lot more time waiting and more time scrolling through Instagram or answering emails, I really preferred that scenario because it was only the people directly involved with the case who were in the room. So details of the case were not discussed with people unrelated to the case in the room. But every county is different in their protocols for family court, so it might look different in your area. When it comes to adoption hearings, those are a lot different than a normal hearing. By this point, your family will have an adoption attorney who will represent you and your child. And prior to the adoption date, you will go to your defects office and sign paperwork, which is basically signing off that you've received everything regarding your child's history, if they do or do not receive adoption assistance, names post-adoption, that you are capable of raising the child, and any information on other benefits the child receives, such as insurance. As of this signing, our kids were discharged from our foster care agency. We are licensed through a private agency, so even though the children were technically still in foster care, it is kind of like a limbo because they aren't technically adopted yet, but they aren't active at the agency. The day of our son's adoption, we had a pretty good crowd of family members along with his case manager, foster care worker, and our family's attorney. No one from the public was in our courtroom. Our judge let us keep the pen from where he signed the adoption paperwork, and that was pretty cool. You receive a decree of adoption following the hearing, and then you receive new birth certificates in the mail a few weeks later. Before our daughter's adoption, it was much more low-key. The judge was about to retire, so he actually just called all of us into his chambers, which, by the way, was very cramped. He signed off on the paperwork, and it was over in about 10 minutes. Adoption hearings are always the best kind of hearing to go to, and since the kids are present, they usually don't last too long. But it's a monumental moment in your family, so try and soak it all in. If you are able to have a friend or family member come to the adoption hearing, designate them to take pictures for you. You'll want pictures. Also, I know due to COVID-19, some adoption hearings are actually having to take place virtually. Our adoption hearings were in 2017 and in 2019, so before the pandemic. If you adopted your child through a virtual hearing, please know it doesn't make their adoption any less special or meaningful. Adoption hearings come in all shapes and sizes. What is most important at the end of the day is that your child is finally adopted and they are now officially a part of your family. All right, so I think that pretty much sums up court hearings as a foster parent. If I've missed anything or if you have anything to add, let's keep the conversation going. Please comment on the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast Instagram on the image for this episode, which is episode two, or if you want to email me at the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast at gmail.com, I would love to hear from you. So something I wanted to start doing at the end of the episodes is to do a segment called Roses and Thorns. Sometimes this is also called highs and lows, but it's basically where you share one good thing and one not so good thing from your day or your week. 
And I thought it would be a fun way to wrap up the episodes on a good note, since some of the stuff we will be discussing is pretty heavy. We play this game with our kids sometimes around the dinner table, so it's definitely appropriate for any age, although their answers can get pretty interesting and creative. I'll start with my thorn, which is going to be just a general umbrella of everything going on in the world right now with COVID-19 and social inequalities, but these are conversations that definitely need to be happening. White privilege is real, white supremacy is real, and we all need to strive to be anti-racist. It is not enough to teach white children to tolerate other races or ethnicities. We need to teach them to advocate for those who are being targeted. Stand with them instead of pulling out their iPhone and recording. I am a white woman raising my adopted son who is biracial. So everything going on that's gone on for centuries and up until this point, I try and view through his eyes. I have a lot more to say on that matter, but I'll save that for another time. But it's definitely a thorn, and I know even this short mention of what is going on doesn't even scratch the surface, but I felt like I definitely needed to mention it. My rose for this week is going to sound kind of silly after talking about my thorn, but I'm going to share anyway because it is something that made me happy this week, and that is finding the right tea to make a Starbucks copycat passion tea lemonade. I don't know if you've ever had one of the passion tea lemonades from Starbucks, but it is so good and really refreshing. I'm not typically a tea person due to my migraines. I've tried over and over again to love it, but it just isn't my thing. I am usually a coffee girl through and through, except for like sweet tea and the passion tea lemonade. That's about my extent of tea drinking. I found a recipe on Pinterest and tweaked it, but basically you buy passion tea tea bags from Tazo. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's T-A-Z-O. You can find this at the grocery store, but it has to be this brand. It comes with 20 tea bags in a box. So you get a pitcher, you put 10 tea bags at the bottom. My pitcher was two quarts. Then boil hot water pour the hot water over the tea bags and then let the tea steep for like seven to 10 minutes. You take the tea bags out and then let it cool overnight in the fridge. I mix mine the next morning in a large tumbler, but basically I used like a two to one ratio of two parts tea to one part lemonade and you can get pre-made lemonade or make your own. I use two cups of tea and one cup of lemonade and then sweeten to taste You can also make your own simple syrup with sugar and water like Starbucks, but this mama does not have time for that, so I just scooped some like granulated white sugar directly in, and it was so good and easy and so much cheaper than Starbucks. If you have a rose and thorn you'd like to share from your week, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear them. Thank you for listening today. I hope you all had a wonderful July 4th. I cannot believe we are already in the seventh month of 2020. Like, the year is already halfway over, and I've been at my house for the majority of it. It's really just flown by, and I would say those are the dog years I mentioned last episode. As always, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and almost any other podcast listening app. The Millennial Foster Mom Podcast is produced using Anchor. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to episode two of the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. I hope this episode was helpful or at least gave a little insight to what court hearings look like in the foster care and adoption world. 
please follow the Millennial Foster Mom podcast on your podcast platform and Instagram. If you have an episode topic or idea, email me at the Millennial Foster Mom podcast at gmail.com. And remember, motherhood is hard no matter how you get there. But together, we've got this, mamas. Talk to you next week.